and welcome to Daft Souls, episode number 31. That's the, for those of you who are fans may have noticed, that that's the first episode in three episodes in a row in which I've definitely known the number of the episode upon starting it. And this week it is just another two-man podcast. It's me joined by Mr. Stephen Hogarty. Hello, how's it going? So this week it is Matt and Steve's amazing Daft Souls. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, what have you been playing recently? I've been playing a little old zombie game called... Resident Evil. <laughs> Resident Evil? Yes. Both the HD remake, remaster, redone, re-special, re-release on Re- PC. Uh, and a little bit of Revelations 2, which is the next one that's coming out. Interesting. Because like, I've never played the first Resident Evil for longer than about ten minutes, I think. Um, I remember the bit where the dogs jumped through the window. That's... Maybe Resident Evil 2. I made this mistake constantly. I conflate Resident Evil 1 and 2. No, because it was in a mansion. And yes. The first one's in a mansion. Second one's in a police station, mostly. Yes. I actually think I played the second one more, because I remember the second one a bit more. Second one is the best one. I think it is better. People yeah. say that. Um, but yeah, everyone's been going, who who donkey lally Hoop all over lally the... about Resident about Evil. About Resident uh, Evil. Yeah, it's weird. You play it, and you go... Like, it looks amazing. It's got so many polygons, Matt, you wouldn't even believe. How many more? Uh, it's probably got 50,000 polygons wow. per character. That sounds, that, sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like a lot. I think, I think it's it, overkill, personally. And all of those are actual triangles attached yeah, to them. Yeah, and there's lighting, there's uh, MIP mapping. <laughs> I don't know if you remember MIP mapping, Matt. The MIP mapping. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, was I think, after the Harlem Shake, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, um, but it's I. You look at it and you go, yeah, this is what Resident Evil One looked like. Like they barely improved it. Maybe some of the lighting's a bit better. And you go back and you look at the original Resident Evil One. If you haven't seen it in a while, I implore you to go back and take a look at how it looks. Watch a YouTube video or something. It looks awful. It looks yeah. like a cartoon. It's really weirdly crap looking. Well, that era was very odd, like, for visuals. I remember, like, a lot of PlayStation 1 stuff, because I started playing, I think, on my PSP. I started, like, you know, uh, may have may have been not 100% above board, but I started playing some PlayStation 1 games on my PSP. Mm. I remember playing Vagrant Story. There's lots of things like we had this weird system where sometimes, I don't know why games used to do it, but they used to have, like, textures that would wobble as you moved around. I don't... I don't know how that happened, but do you remember? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I've been reading about this for some reason about <laughs> why the textures wobbled on PlayStation One games. The reason I've been reading about it, um, I don't know if you're like Unity, the popular three uh, D engine that a lot of indie gamers make their three yeah, D yeah. games in, and professional AAA titles use it these days. Um, they someone's released a shader for Unity, which emulates that old PlayStation 1 style. Wow. With wobbly textures and, like, low-resolution 3D models and stuff. It looks amazing. So that might be ushering in, like, a new era of PlayStation 1 looking games. That means, like, people will then, like... uh, We were about three years off people getting pissed off, being like, God, not another PS1-era retro game. I'm so tired of this bullshit. In the same way you get people like... I find it bizarre when you have people on the internet getting angry about... Pixelated graphics. And be like, oh, not another pixel art game. I I'm hate not pixels. Playing, I'm not playing one of them. <laughs> it's like, does it matter? Like, no. does it doesn't make the game any different. And it's not, people like to say it's like, oh, they're trying to force a, like a retro aesthetic on it. But for the most part, it's because indie developers don't have much money. No. And pixel art is really cheap to do. Yeah, it's just, it's about, it doesn't matter. Like, you just sort of think, what what is the level at which, like, I guess it spends what your your skills are as well. Like, if you've got somebody who's actually a bit better at like three D modeling and textures and stuff, then sure. But if you've got someone who's just a good artist, just do pixel art because it's just moving art. That's yeah. easy. But 
yeah, just getting a nice style. Actually, it's funny because I've been playing, I talked about it a bit last time, I've been playing a, a Dungeon of the Endless, mm. which is like all pixel art, and it's just incredibly charming because it's just like the way that all the characters move and they have all these awesome little animations. Um, and the game they've made since is like really beautiful, but somehow like doesn't have quite the same charm in a weird yeah. way because they've sort of like overblown it to big 3D land. Well, it's definitely a good thing that we now have reached a point in uh, technology that we have like a breadth of aesthetics all the way down to like pixel art from like the near zero up to like triple A. It's good for me because mip mapping. Because you've had like a, that. you've had a dabble at um, making like games, haven't you? Mm, like, I've yes. seen some of your stuff. You tried to make an NHS simulator. Or NHS. Yes, it? it was a first-person NHS, a first-person NHS dismantling simulator, yeah, so in which you had it. to uh, bring NHS uh, um, documents to different MPs around uh, an emulated Westminster <laughs> and have them stamp it. Unfortunately, you lost that, didn't you? I think. Yeah, I formatted my hard drive and forgot. <laughs> <laughs> First, forgot to take it That's off the classic. hard drive and back Man, it up. If that had been like a crowdfunded game, you would have been in some hot sauce. I would have been in trouble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine I'm, that update. I'm not very good at making games. I can't uh, back up back up my files. I don't know. I saw a bit of it running, and it looked quite impressive to me. Because I mean, increasingly, I find as I get older, maybe it's just you know you. You realize how, how many years can you spend spinning around in this godforsaken rock, <laughs> pointing at other things and going, oh, this is quite good, before you sort of think, maybe I should have a go at doing it myself. Well, what so, happens is you make an animation of someone holding an NHS document and you go, that's pretty funny. And you put it on the internet and goes, yeah, that's pretty funny. As you're making a good game there. And you go, okay, now to spend 50 thankless hours turning it into an actual game that people can play. Yeah. That's the boring bit that no one wants to do. So yeah. Just, no, I think honest. it's the same. I kind of want to make Dragon Rally, but I think after I'd worked out how to make a, a car with a dragon in it that flips around... And yeah, you'll giggle while you're doing the Photoshop, and then you'll go to put it in the game, and you have to do, like, logarithms and equations and programming. Yeah. That's the boring bit. No, no one I mean, to, to be honest, I end up like doing my own nutting just using After Effects sometimes, because I realise I made a huge mistake about half an hour ago and need to hmm. then jury-rig together some hellish thing. No, I'm not doing it. I've changed my mind. I'm not doing it. But if I do do it, it will look like a crap PlayStation 1 game. And everyone will go, oh, isn't this twee? Do you have jingles like on our other podcast that we do together? <laughs> In this one? No, no, we have a, an intro music thing at the start. And, and then, then we just end. meander from topic to topic. We literally just meander. Okay. It's like a, it's like a, an, a free-range farm of a podcast. Nice. Um, but usually we do just keep it together because obviously all of the guests are of a very high calibre. Mm. But anyway, on the topic of zombies, actually, I'll talk a little bit about what I've been playing. I've been playing loads of stuff recently. Uh, I've been continuing my kind of mobile thing, just because I'm a mobile person now. I'm a human on the move. Mm -hmm. Played a bit of the Swapper on PS Vita. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like a swinging thing? Swapping wives? (laughs) No, that's something you do in... Clapham Junction on Saturday nights okay. on a bus as well. But no, I've been doing <laughs> this on a bus and it's not like that. <laughs> Swapping. Uh, it's like a little story about a little spaceman and you can make clones of yourself and swap between them using a magic torch. It makes oh. it sound like a 90s uh, children's TV mm. like show on Saturday morning. Well, kids in the 90s, they all had magic torches. Everyone. <laughs> magic coins, yeah. magic crayons. You had Jamie and the magic torch. Yeah. You had David and the magic torch. You had Stevie's magic torch. Yeah. You had uh, Jeremy's torch of magic. <laughs> torch of magic. <laughs> Controversial torch of magic. <laughs> yeah. The list goes on. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good. I've only played it for about three or four hours, but it's got some nice puzzles. But I think what I'm liking about it is I've been playing it with headphones and turning the music up too loud, 
and it does that kind of like space 2001 thing of having like really kind of intense like 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 really bassy kind of like spookiness it reminds me a lot of the dig do you remember that yes yeah yeah i never got very far in the dig because it's it was a steven spielberg point and click wasn't it yeah but it was one of those lucasarts games that at that era the internet didn't really exist in the same way and it meant that if you got stuck in a, a point and click game which you always did you just had to either play it for an hour every day until you somehow forced your neurons into trying something new, or you had to have a friend at school who knew how to do it. Yeah. I, um, my, my dad uh, uh, at the time, and he still does, worked for a subsidiary of IBM in Dublin. So he worked in an, in an office, can you believe? Wow. And he had access to this new thing called the internet and a printer and wow. I would send him away to print out walkthroughs of all the games I was stuck on. And he'd come back with like a thick ream of walkthroughs, like the Donkey Kong Country walkthroughs, like SNES era, being able to go on the internet and, like, and get SNES walkthroughs. That's I was good. like, I'd, I'd, I'd go around my class like telling people how to get past certain things or find certain golden bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I was very popular. You must school. have been like yeah. the guru. Yeah. <laughs> Ask Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, how? Where can we find this specific golden banana? <laughs> I did hide in the closet in a cloak, uh, <laughs> dispensing games wins the wisdom. Let me do the readings. <laughs> You're like, uh, what's it called? Like Joseph? What's it? The, the guy Fritzel. That... No, you weren't like Joseph Fritzel. That's a different kind of man behind a curtain. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about the guy with the golden plates, the Mormon uh, chap. What's he called? Oh, you know. The guy who was like, oh, no, I can't, I yeah. can't show you where I get the golden banana. Ian Merman. It wasn't Ian Mormon. <laughs> it was the founder Joseph Mormon. Mormonism, yes. Uh, but yeah, going behind a curtain and not letting anyone else see the, the sacred document of the bananas. Mm. And then burying I it. could have said the walkthrough involves telling Steve he's amazing <laughs> and giving praise to Steve every day. You could have, you could have <laughs> like started a cult. I think if you'd just been a bit more charismatic and a little bit more forceful, yeah, that's true. you could have had the golden banana cult. Oh. Different world. But anyway, um, the Swapper is, uh, it's a bit like the dig in terms of this spooky atmosphere and you're like, have this thing of like, because you're swapping between different copies of yourself, you have this question of being like, A, what's going on with this? Because mm-hmm. like a lot of the time the puzzles involve you letting previous clones that you inhabited with your soul about two seconds ago fall to their death with a crunch. Well, it sounds like this film where David Bowie was playing Tesla. Mm. What is it? Don't say that. Don't say what it is because that's a, a massive spoiler for the film. But uh, I know exactly what you mean. It's a really good film. Anyway, uh, but it is... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit. If you're halfway spoiler. through and you've seen David Bowie as Tesla, you're like, now you're going to Fuck. know. <laughs> Suddenly you're going to be quite angry with Steve. So I apologize for that. Anyway, um, it's just weird because you sort of think like, who am I? Am I, even, am I even a human? I don't even know what's going on here. But it's just good in the fact that it's got my mind being like, there's something quite dark about creating lots of clones of yourself and then watching them die all the time. And you're mm. like, which one... What is this? And it so has are the clones from the sounds. past are like are they like standing on switches for you and stuff to yeah. let you through? That sounds good. But it has this thing of when you move left or right, like you move all of your clones. So that's a big part of the oh. puzzles. Is often it's like well, how do I? It's often about the order of how you do things, and you can only ever make four clones at a time, and you can swap between them. But then there's like you can't put your swap beam through red light and you can't put clones in blue light. And Obviously. Obviously. Everyone knows you can't put your swap beam through red light. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just not... I was surprised by that, okay? Personally. That's <laughs> elementary stuff. I guess I'm just not down with this stuff. Enough. That reminds me a bit of a... I'm just going to half remember, like a browser game I played 
probably 10 years ago now, which is, um, it was like an isometric thing. Uh-huh. You had to um, press buttons using your mouse cursor. But then as the levels progressed, you could press a button to conjure up your mouse cursor from 10 seconds ago, mm. which would go around and click on the things that you clicked on. So you'd have to click on things in a certain order, rewind time, have your cursor come back and do the same things again while you clicked on new you things. Do something else, yeah. It was... Uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. I like the time time warping games. Good fun. Yeah, it is mm. fun. It's fun. There's no time warpy stuff that I know of in this, but it's just fascinating. And it's just one of those things where like you've got weird telepathic rocks, and it's like the classic thing of being like, what happened to this space station, and why is everybody dead, and all that. Mm. But done in a way that I'm like, this is really chilling. And also they've done this weird thing with the graphics where it looks like everything's been made out of like plasticine. It's like you can tell it's all like really dramatically darkly lit, but. I think it has this weirdly handmade, almost clay-like look. Like Chicken Run. It is a bit like Chicken Run. <laughs> I'll tell you what it actually reminds me of, because it's all like clearly handmade, modelled um, look, but also handmade models of things that are like metallic and things that are like hmm. spaceshipy. It's like a gritty version of Clangus. Oh, wow. That's such a good... Oh. It's really good. That it's, art style is, yeah, I like that. That's very good. It's very cool. It's very cool. Um, but actually, I've been playing another zombie game this week, which has really blown me away. Partially because um, I kind of expected it to be total shit. Hmm. Um, and it isn't. And that's Dying Light. Because Dying Light, um, I was expecting it to be like... It's a Techland game. So and that's why you expect it to be ex- total shit. Precisely, right? It's a sequel. It's not really a sequel to Dead Island, but it kind of is. It, well, that's the thing. Is I actually feel bad about this because like, it was only a joke. It was only japes, like. But uh, last year, at, or the year before, however long ago it was, at Gamescom, I actually went up to some of the guys, uh, some of the Polish dudes who were making Dying Light from Techland, and I, I gave them a video gamer award for Deja Vu just because Dying Light looked like another... Oh, look, it's another game yeah. with zombies. Open world zombie survival game. And the guy was like, you know, trying to say, oh, no, actually, it's not. Like, And, you know, he was quite funny. He was like, take the award, it'll be funny. Come on, just do it. <laughs> well, it was a combination of him being trying to, like, be like, no, actually, it's not just Dead Island again. Did he crack the award over his knee? <laughs> and they're back to you. <laughs> He's quite an intimidating guy. I've got to be honest, I was actually frightened. That was the one, there was a few times doing that. Before I did those, no, it must have been E3 because it was the first time I did those awards. It was E3. And the first time I did that, I was like, I thought it was going to be really fun. But then when you actually get to it and you realise you've got to go up to somebody and hand them this thing, um, especially if they're somebody who looks quite stern and frightening anyway, you sort mm. of think, are they going to punch me? Like, am I going to get punched? I mean, that would have been cool in some ways. That would have meant I, I actually had become Dennis Penis of the gaming world. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to get punched. No. Um, but anyway, I, I feel bad now because actually they, this guy, they were trying to say at the time, it's not Dead Island again. And it was like, fuck off, it is Dead Island again. It's got zombies in it. You've Warner Brothers has basically just gone, hey, can you make us a Dead Island because yeah. it makes loads of money? And they go, yeah, all right. It's not Dead Island at all. And um, I'm really surprised by that because you've got all the Dead Island stuff of making weapons and mm-hmm. using weapons to violently bludgeon people to death. And to be fair, it is still a Techland game in the fact that the the way you bludgeon stuff to death is still just like so violent that sometimes it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Because yeah. you saw a bit of I it. I was watching you play it and like the, the you have like cricket bats with spikes in them and it makes like clonking sounds when you smash them and they cartwheel and you can see their skeletons like in Sniper Elite and mm. blood comes out and heads come off. Yeah, heads just smash open. It's yeah. very it's, violent. It's quite gross. Uh, which at first was a bit like, whoa, okay. But then what I liked about it was what little I played of Dead Island felt like it was just this thing of it was basically just a combat-based RPG where you just keep smashing zombies to death 
and then you get more points, and then you get better at smashing zombies to death, and then you just you just keep doing that. Whereas in this, there's a much bigger emphasis on the idea of actually behaving like you would in real life, mm. i.e. of like fighting stuff when you need to fight stuff, but most of the time just running away or like running past. Because it's a big open world, and a lot of the time you just like get over here. And after the interminable introduction with a fucking shit story, like mm. the story is bollocks. And it I still has you do that. that as well. Oh, you did the other yeah. day when you ran it. It's just like, let me just stop doing this. Uh, there's some guy just making lots of like, like nerd cool references. Oh, like, I kept calling me a noob. Uh, you're, yeah, a noob. No one's used the word noob in like 10 years. Oh, it was so bad. That was the point where I was literally thinking, I'm not going to play this game ever again. I thought, I'm halfway through a tutorial and I cannot be fucked. <laughs> Um, which is something I often get now. Maybe I'm just getting old. But uh, I'm really glad I persisted with it because it has this thing of like, you know, it's an open world game, but it doesn't have too much stuff to do. It's not like the map is cluttered with with things. But what I love about it is that it does that kind of a Elder Scrolls thing of you level up your main survival ability just by playing the game and doing missions. And that gives you like just generic new abilities. But Dead Island was really bad for the whole like, Get a 5% bonus when using swords. Oh, wow. Ooh, Get a that's... 10% bonus. <laughs> that gets you excited, doesn't yeah. it? A 5% damage bonus. That's <laughs> uh, something that Borderlands does badly as well a lot of the time, but having skill trees, which are largely just filled with stuff, it's like, who gives a fuck about that? Like, It becomes mm. about like either like builds. The best case scenario is it's like, oh, you can have a build that specifically focuses on this. It's boring. Yeah. Whereas with this, it's like right from the start, it's like, it seems to me that a lot of the skill tree stuff is related to how do you want to play the game. So it's like one of the first skills I ignored, for example, is like, hey, have as many, have twice as many weapons in your inventory. I'm like, no, nah, I don't really do that much fighting, so I'm just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you do like parkour and you run around and you climb over stuff. Well, that's the thing is you've got like um, your main survival abilities just do like a whole bunch of stuff, allow you to like do different things. But then you have the combat abilities just improve through combat. So if you spend all your time going around braining zombies you will level up your combat ability quickly. Oh, cool. But if, like me, you spend your time just doing parkour and just running around and climbing up stuff, you level that up. So it's a bit like, do you remember in Crackdown of that whole thing of, like, you know, the reason in Crackdown you ended up leaping on buildings like a nutter constantly was because there were orbs at the top. Yes. Well, there aren't any orbs at the top of anything, and it's very light on collectibles in the world, which I'm pleased about because I can't stand that shit anymore. Mm -hmm. But it means that because just climbing up stuff that's difficult or just making big jumps or just jumping around is just constantly levelling up your ability this to do it better. reminds me very much of how Morrowind's yes. RPG system used to work. Like, it, it would level you up in the things that you did. Yep. Which meant that anyone who knew how to game a system in the most basic sense would just jump everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah, the more you jumped, the higher you can jump. <laughs> I remember playing Morrowind and the way I played Morrowind was I was like, well, multitasking, I'm going to become very good at athletics and healing magic. And the <laughs> yeah. way I did that was just by repeatedly jumping off a cliff, breaking my legs, yeah, and then healing myself, and then walking back up the cliff again and doing it again. That's how you get better at jumping. Well, uh, you can em- employ this in real life. If you want to get better at jumping, just jump everywhere that yeah. you go. It's true. It's true. Start doing it right Stop now, it right now. You've you are. An expert jumper. Yep. Today's the day. Start. That's, oh, if I could name a single long jumper... <laughs> I could just make a great joke about that being how they started out. Well, while you're already at home listening to this jumping up and down, just imagine that Steve had thought of that joke and yeah, laughed There yourself. was that curly-eyed redhead guy who did it for Team GB, didn't he? He was good. Well he done. was good. Yeah. Good good lad. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna look him up when I go home. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's just really nice. Like you get like the it's like hey, well done, you got an agility point because you're really good at like running around. But then when it does that, because you are gonna just be jumping and running and climbing anyway, because mm. you have to for reasons I'll explain in a bit. Because um, of zombies. <laughs> yeah. Well, also because it's basically zombies can be a problem, but at first I was like. There aren't many zombies, but then occasionally, for some bees, reason... Bees, the real problem. Shitloads of them. No, no, it's not bees, it's not is bees. it? <laughs> but you have some bits where, like, there are shitloads of zombies. Like, and it's just like, fuck, how do I... And all you can do is just climb on top of a building. Because you actually saw what happened to me when you've got, like, three or four of them around you. It's just like, you're in big trouble. Mm. You're dead. So often, it's just best to not stop and fight. Because your weapons degrade really quickly. What's the point in killing everything along the way? Just, just run past and run the roofs. But you have to actually do the climbing because at night, and the whole premise of the game, really, dying light thing, is this idea of at night you have special infected zombies mm-hmm. that will come out and these guys chase you. And what's nice about it is if you try and fight them, you almost always die. Mm-hmm. In fact, every, I mean, maybe at the end of the game, if you've got amazing weapon stuff, you might be able to fight them a bit. But right now it's just like, no, they just kill you. Um, so you have to run away. But they run faster than you do, <laughs> which means you need to be doing all this like climbing and running and leaping on stuff. Yeah. And it means you have genuinely frantic moments. And it's like really nice in the same way that zombie movies are great. You know you have that bit where somebody's just running down a road and they're just looking for like somewhere to go yeah. and it's just walls either side of them and they just realise they're trapped and it's that terror of being like, oh God, where do I go? Oh, that's cool. So you're sort of looking for walls to get over and buildings to climb up and stuff? Yeah, because sometimes when it's night, I had a bit where it was like, I got genuine fear where it's like, oh, night's starting in about mm. two minutes. And then I was like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like, I'm not any, anywhere near any buildings. And it's like, oh God. You're in like an open, like yeah. flat area. If you're in an open yeah. area, yeah. like you don't want to be in an open area. The other thing I enjoyed about what I saw was that it's got uh, pitch black night. Like at, yeah. with, without your torch on, you can't see a thing. It's in front so of you. dark. It's really pitch black. And it does that thing of, because you can see where the fast zombies are on the map, it does a little radar thing. It almost means sometimes you get so fixated on those guys that you forget that there are also loads of zombies there. Normal zombies. <laughs> and uh, I had a bit at one point where I had to go and switch on a generator and a big power thing. And the way I got into it was like, I had to like leap off from like a rock nearby. But once I was in, I couldn't get back out because it was all like, uh, like razor wire fences. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, right, I was watching them all moving around. I thought, right, there's none of the infected zombies anywhere nearby. I'll just leap in. Leapt in and just suddenly got up. And it was like 10 zombies. Like, I was like, oh, God, like, this place is full of normal ones. <laughs> and just having this mad thing of like having to climb on top of the generators and just leaping around like whilst quickly hoping you're not going to get noticed. But even as I was saying the whole thing of running away, I was playing it earlier. And I was just sprinting. And I had five of the infected guys chasing me. And I was just running along. And this fence was like a chain link fence with razor wire at the top and you can't climb that. And so it's just mm. like just running along being like, come on, like give me something to climb. Until eventually stressful. I just see this van in front of me and I literally just leap up onto the bonnet of the van and then just in a second jump just vault over the fence. And then I'm just like, literally just my heart in my chest, just <laughs> relief of being like, oh God, I got away. Like, but you, you have lots of moments in the game, especially at night where you, because you can die so easily and so quickly, you just, have moments where you just become convinced you're going mm, to die. Mm. Like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I can't get away. And then just managing to get away and being like, holy shit, I got that away. Really like, good. The it, thing, uh, it's got like a Dark Souls invasion thing where other players can come into your game, right? It does. The only time that's happened to me was when we were talking in the kitchen and somebody just came to my game and repeatedly killed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You made me a quiche and we came in 
to see that someone had beaten you 10 nil. What kind of a man spending... murders another man when he's making a quiche? <laughs> spending nine minutes killing you repeatedly while you're away from your quiche. He probably got some great XP for that, I guess, or something. Yeah, it's got the classic, like, uh, same as Dead Island, you can have, like, four-player co-op. Um, in the same world and it has like I haven't actually seen what they are yet but it's got like dynamic competitions which I presume are going to be things like again one of the reasons I like that running is important at night because if you're not running and jumping and being creative and looking around you for where to go next then you're going to get killed but in the day it does this thing of occasionally being like oh there's an airdrop and it'll just be like a blue mark on you and you'll see a plane fly above you and drop a thing and there'll be a flare and then it's this thing of like you basically, if you want to get it, you've just got to start running as quickly as you can. Mm. Because if you get there really quickly, you'll just get to the airdrop and you'll just get the goodies in there. If you get there slightly too slowly, you'll get there and there'll be a gang of other people there who are trying to get it as well and you'll have to kill them first. But if then if you're any later, then it just gets taken by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it is this thing of being like run. And it does that really awesome thing that Burnout Paradise does of you like it's not a very big area so you start to learn the area and you start to know where you are and go ooh I can turn down left here and there's like a shortcut or like oh I can I can run over here and leap and it does this thing like you know in um, Assassin's Creed with like the whole like you can leap from almost any height as long as you land in a hay bale yeah yeah it's got that with bin bags. <laughs> <laughs> you can just dump, jump into bin bags. Yeah. So if you see blue bin bags or a dumpster. Filled or empty. Well, can presumably jump into empty bin bags. That'd be amazing. Maybe just like a roll of 500 bin bags. <laughs> <laughs> just throw them out and then I'm invincible. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you leap and land on them, then... So sometimes you'll see like a little like plank of wood and it is very much like Burnout Paradise. If you see a plank of wood resting on the side of like, oh, you know, thing, you, definitely you know it's it. going to be a jump, and yeah. you know that you jump and you'll land. And yeah. it's really good when you get away from a crowd by doing that. Assassin's Creed. Some people, maybe most people know it. I felt very clever when I figured it out that the the hay bales are signified by little doves on the on the yes. on the ledges. Yes. So I felt very clever when I figured that out. I'm, I'm probably people know that. It's probably quite common knowledge. It's probably quite common knowledge now. I think yeah. your, your golden banana guru days are over, Steve. Yeah, we're about nine games into the Assassin's Creed series. <laughs> it's a bit late to be coming up with these little revelations. It's time for Steve's tip corner. Uh, yeah, if you're ever on a rooftop and you see uh, some birds hanging out on a ledge, that means there's a uh, hay bale below you. Fascinating. Or a pile of leaves. Um, but the, yeah, the, I think the thing that's amazing about this though because it's like it borrows a bunch of stuff so you've got the nighttime element is very much like Dragon's Dogma just in that thing of being like it rewards you with double experience for everything you do when you're out about so it kind of teases you being like go on stay out we get double experience at night yes um, but that's true of real life as well it's Max. true it's true all of your experiences are <laughs> intensified <laughs> Sort in of, the night time sort of true there's, there's actual truth to that um, but it has obviously if you die then you actually lose some experience as well so it's a bit of a gamble it's also true yeah of real life yeah you lose a lot all of it yeah, from that point onwards that's it game over but um, what's really nice about the way it steals the kind of climbing and leaping stuff from like is it's not that holding down R1 because you used R1 to do jumping and grabbing which I thought was really weird at first mm-hmm. I was like are you such a functional but it makes a lot of sense because it's such an integral part of the game. But um, what's really nice about the climbing is it's like you can pretty much climb anything that looks like you should be able to climb it. But at the same time, it's not like you just don't just hold down a button and it does it for you. Yeah. And you never feel like it's automated. And it also means like it's very fallible, like but in a, a way that's good, in a way that like if you mess up a jump, it won't be that thing of being like, oh, he wants to jump from this ledge to this ledge. You know, Assassin's Creed is famous for that now. Oh, it'll just like 
point you off in a random just direction. Just watching him vault going, yeah, yeah. on stuff perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, if you don't quite make a jump, or if you don't quite aim at the ledge that you want to grab onto properly, you'll just fall. And sometimes it means that when you do mess up things, you mess up things in really spectacular ways. Oh. Um, I had a bit where actually I was just running away. Running away from a bunch of zombies, and there was a chain link fence at the end, and it was like a covered with a tarpaulin, so I couldn't see what was behind it. Mm-hmm. And there was loads of zombies, so I used my ability to like just tap the jump thing before you hit, get to a zombie, and you basically vault off the zombie and you leap really high into the air. And then went over the fence, and then the other end of the fence was a train track, which was about twenty feet down. <laughs> so then it's just this thing of going ah, crunch, yeah, yeah. I'm just about surviving. Because um, Assassin's Creed does almost everything to prevent you from jumping yes. to your own death. Yes. It's like he'll stop at a ledge and go, whoa. Whereas this, if you, if you <laughs> Are you do, sure yeah. you want to jump yeah. off this one? But this is like, if you do a massive jump and then yeah. over that fence is a cliff, you're dead. Like you, that's. Does it ever feel like, because I think with something like that, I would blame the game more often than no. it's fair. I'd go, that's the game's fault. I didn't mean to jump like that. No, there are a couple of things where you kind of, you feel like, oh, I should be able to climb that maybe. But mm. it's very rare that you think, why can't I climb this? It's most things you can climb and most things when you do a jump, it's because like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that jump. You should have looked where you were going first. But you have that thing like, I remember everyone talked about with Tomb Raider, that sense of like when there's bits where you climb things, everyone got a sense of vertigo. And I thought it was bollocks because it was all very Assassin's Creedy. But in mm. this, you actually have to climb the radio towers. And you had that in Far Cry 4 as well, that sense of getting really high. Yeah. But in this, the fact that you're physically clambering these things, and they've started to already have some bits where you have to do like proper climbing, like you have to leap onto bars and climb up. It's like, it gets really really like heart and chest vertigo because you because you can slip up you can fall, fall. Yeah, like, yeah. if you do it wrong you will fall and it's like in a, intense yeah. to keep bringing it back to Assassin's Creed which is the, mm. I guess the primo parkour simulator yeah like you go to the top of the highest tower in a city you don't feel like you're any danger of falling off well all they ever really did in Assassin's Creed to make it more interesting with the climbing, was there are some towers where you can't just hold down forward and hold down R. Yeah, you'd have to, you have to maybe at one around, point it would yeah, stop and yeah. you go, why oh, oh, has it stopped? Yeah. Oh, I need to go left a bit. It's like a very, very gentle puzzle. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think Assassin's they tried yeah. to make it a bit more uh, nuanced, didn't they? With, like they, they would give you some manual controls over what was happening when you were running and jumping because they had those like challenge modes mm. where um, it was all set in virtual reality and you'd have to use some of the manual controls to get your time down when you're doing like running up walls and jumping at specific moments and stuff. Oh, I remember, yeah, you could do like special big jumps and stuff. Yeah, and... yeah. But then in the main game, that was never really employed because it's such a, it, it is a really tricky game to control. If you're watching someone who's never played many games trying to pick up and play Assassin's Creed, it's a tricky game for a lot of people, even with the auto That's the thing, there's a lot of stuff you can do in it mm. and it's a bit like, it can be a bit confused. Well, the, the whole notion of having, like holding down a shoulder button to unlock a new context of moves, which is what they have. Like when you when you're not holding down, um, yeah. I get it in my head. It's like the left trigger. Uh, you're you're in stealth mode and you're shuffling between people and you're not going to do anything that's out of the ordinary. It's going to draw attention to yourself. And you hold down the left trigger. You're sprinting. You're running. You're stabbing people. You're elbowing old ladies in the face and stuff. Um, that just as a concept, that was quite new when Assassin's Creed invented it. Like I don't think any game had really done that before, and they've carried it on. And now it's just like accepted by players that that's how Assassin's Creed works. But for new players, it's really quite tricky. Yeah. I watched someone try to play the new Assassin's Creed, and so they were like, "Can't do it. I can't. I can't work out the controls." Yeah, people forget. 
that people who don't play many games find it difficult to play no, games. No, that is, that is very true, very true, especially when I was trying to get my mum to play some stuff that involved her just, like, moving with WAS and D. I, I was trying to get my mum to play Proteus, and I didn't yeah, yeah. really account for just how hard she would find it yeah, to yeah. do moving and looking at mm. the same time, whereas to us, that's just like, well, yeah, that's just basic. Like, of course you can do that. Yeah. That's, but uh, forget. I, I think I had uh, my boyfriend playing uh, Portal 2, because he's just finished Portal, it's like you have to just just watch the in, like play the intro of the portal yeah. too, so you can see how different a game it is and how you'll get some of Stephen Merchant's voice acting in there, and you'll 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 really enjoy it. And I, I watched him play it, and just simple things like he wasn't looking in the right place. I was like, oh, just look over there, that wall. He's supposed to be looking. It's a joke happening right now. And you're not looking at it. You're looking at the floor. Why are you looking at the floor? <laughs> it's because someone's talking. If someone's talking to you in a game, you, you think- just you stop moving and listen to what they're saying. Yeah, and. This is how this this is how most people play games unless you unless you've grown up with it and you know how games work. Yeah, like, it's difficult just to make people look in the right direction in a game. You do forget how much just nuance there is with these things. Hmm. That yeah, but um, lucky us, lucky that lucky we're, in, we're not shit at games. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we brilliant at video <laughs> games? Uh, but yeah, I think Dying Light is going to be a big hit. Um, I'm mm. very surprised by it. It's annoying because actually at the moment you can only get it on digital download, I think. Right. Um, and it's but it's out in retail like in a month or something. It's really annoying though because digital download is really expensive. It's like 55 quid. I was kindly given um, a code by a friend of mine, a guy called Zach Islam, who just said, I've got a spare code for it. Do you want it on PS4? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, all right. I'll have a look at it. So it's the sort of game where it's like, it's really good, but probably wait until it's like, 35 quid instead of 50 because it's like it's good but it's not 50 quid it's on good. it's on pc as well it's on pc as well but i've heard that pc can have some issues with it i think uh, i don't know what's going on it's worth looking it up if you're a pc gamer because i've heard some people saying oh it's got problems which yeah. doesn't surprise me because it's still a bit shonky you know it's like it's pretty good looking game but it's still like it's wonky but it just amazes me how much they've managed to capture the spirit of like zombie survival and survival in a way that most games don't manage to like just even like the case of like going through cupboards and looking for stuff feels very Fallout Three, mm. and I love that in Fallout Three, just being like, "What's in this kitchen? What's mm. in the fridge?" And also the fact that you have like things like locked vehicles that you'll see like an ambulance and a police car, and you'll be like, "Ah, oh, there's probably some good stuff in there, but there's a lot of zombies nearby." But then you're like, "Ah, oh, I can lure all the zombies away," and then you can. Like, lure the crowd away, or you can just methodically, and this is the point where it felt very much like I was in the TV show The Walking Dead, there was this locked crate that definitely had some good stuff in it, and then, like, a locked police car and a locked ambulance, and I thought, there's going to be some good loot here. So I just got this little crowd of zombies to just follow me over to where some people had made some makeshift spiked barriers, and then when they were all next to it, I just proceeded to just keep just kicking all of the zombies into the spikes spikes. until they were all... It took me about 10, 20 minutes, but it (laughs) felt like... This is what people would do. Like, if you were, like, a survivor and you needed to go and get some stuff, you wouldn't, like... You know, that's what often in the Walking Dead series, series, they don't end up going around being bravado and being, like, bashing them all to death because you get exhausted. You'd be like, let's just push them all into these spikes. These convenient spikes. Yeah, like, just make use of what's around. And just that sense of, like, moving through the world and being like, no, it's too dangerous, we need to move on, or being like... There's not many around. Let's get this stuff. Yeah, yeah, making those choices. I've had a few points in it, and it's it's very rare in a zombie game where you don't feel like you've got the bravado to just rush through. There's been mm. a few bits where I've turned a corner and I've looked at what's there, and I've just been like stood there for a couple of seconds, going sizing it up, and then just going, "No, we're finding another way." Like, <laughs> and yeah, it's that sounds good. I'm I'm intrigued as to how it goes as it goes on, um, because but to be honest, 
I was a bit worried that as you go on, it could end up just turning into like a Dead Island style slog fest of just beating up stuff. Because at the moment, you don't have to do much fighting. There's lots of like explosive barrels and electric water things you can turn on and like environmental mm. traps. So if, if you, even if you have to kill lots of things for a mission, you can usually find a smart way to do it rather than just getting your hands dirty. But it seems like as you level up later, you get like a grappling hook and stuff. So you can basically Batman it up onto buildings and stuff and do crazy... Dead, uh, it's got like Dead Rising style drop kicks and stuff. Yeah, I saw that. That was awesome. It's Just really drop kicking. It's one of these things where it evokes like so many. It reminds me a bit of Far Cry 2. It reminds me a bit of Fallout 3, a bit of Dragon's Dogma, a bit of Assassin's Creed, and a bit of Dead Rising. Well, at the very least, it sounds better than Resident Evil Revelations 2. Tell us about that then. Well, uh, I played uh, a little bit of episode one. You play as Barry looking for his daughter Moira, who's on an island. Some I did not keep up with the story. I'm not sure what was going well, Barry on. Barry Burton wasn't ever really a character. He was just a man with a beard, and that was yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, and he had all the best lines in the original game. I think I actually just he ripped was that the, sentiment uh... off of uh, Andy Kelly, actually, on Twitter, <laughs> just for the record. But yeah, He was the guy who said, take this lockpick. Maybe you, Jill, the master of unlocking, could find a use for it. Um, all the classic Resi 1 lines uh, Barry Burton came out with. And now he's back in Revelations 2, and he's got a leading role. But when he gets to this island, he finds... I must have skipped a cutscene, because it made no <laughs> sense to me whatsoever. There's this girl, this, this like a, a nine-year-old, eight-year-old girl in a nightie strolls up, looking like she's just strolled out of the ring. Right. And Barry's like, what are you doing here? Little girl, you shouldn't be here. You wait here on the boat, I'm going I'm to pop off and find my daughter. And the girl protests and says, oh no, I want to come with you. So it's a co-op thing with you and this little girl. It's basically Resi does The Last of Us. Well, but no, because you had that in um, Resi 4. She wasn't a little girl, but it was that having to look after Ashley. Yeah. A.K.A. basically having a woman who had to tell to hide in a bin all of the time. <laughs> hide in the bin. I find that with women generally. <laughs> I have to tell them to hide in bins constantly. Oh, I've, been, I've been plagued by an idea I've had for years now. I've, I've always wanted to do like a kind of where are they now thing for Resi 4. And which Probably you have, in a bin. Which you have Leon and, uh, and Ashley, but they're like a couple and they're going on dog walks or something. But then he keeps just being like, Ashley, Ashley. Gets and in like, the bin. No, no, she just, she just instinctively goes and hides in bins. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, but I think, well, yeah. In Revelation C, you can take direct control. Can you hide women in the bins? She doesn't hide in the bins. Um, but she's got this really weird mechanic where um, she, for unexplained reasons, probably explained later on, she's probably been experimented on by Umbrella. I, I'm going to guess that that's happened to this girl. Uh, she can sense where all the zombies are. Uh, she can also sense where items are. She see like a little twinkling thing on a shelf, and Barry can't see these things. Uh, if you hold down the left trigger, she points, and she'll point at these. And once she points at a twinkly thing, then Barry, you can switch back to Barry and go pick it up, and it's like handgun ammo or a herb or something. Well, so you have to switch to another character to make her point. You have to switch to a little girl, point at a thing, and switch back to Barry. I'm sure in co-op it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, but who wants to play the person who just points at herbs? I just, I just ran around pointing at things. It was great. Oh, that, well, that was your role in co-op? Or? Uh, no, like if you play as the girl, Barry will turn into AI and he'll run around by himself. Oh, right, and just so, do the game for you while you yeah. point at Yeah, oh, things. you won't shoot anyone. That's that's the weird thing. That doesn't sound useful. No. I, just, I got a bit frustrated having to switch between them both, but the pointing was great fun. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was for a while. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I interviewed the developer and I asked him about 
whether it's fun to play, whether he thinks it's fun <laughs> to point at all these to things. Be the person who points at the thing. And it was, we were talking about like whether Resident Evil is a violent game. How do you put a little girl in it without um, making it too without violent? exposing actual real little girls in the real world to violence? Yes, directly. Yeah. Don't you feel like all little do girls you not are going to? Little girls are going to watch this and they're going to go out into the world and try and fight. Zombies. He said the main concern is that they just couldn't give her a gun because that would uh, get them banned in a lot of countries. Really? How yeah. little is this little girl? She's like eight years old. Oh, right. No, fair enough. Don't give her a gun. Yeah, <laughs> change my mind. Don't give her a gun. <laughs> now wondering in my own head what's the point at which I think <laughs> it's okay, yeah, give her a gun. Well, it's like Ellie in The Last of Us. What, she's like 15? Yeah. Uh, she gets a gun. Yeah, she does, and she was amazing with the bow and arrow. Yeah, um, but I guess there's a lot more context to that, and like, she, like, thingy doesn't want to give her a gun for a very long time. So there's a bit more responsibility going on there, isn't there? Well, I think the thing about The Last of Us, and I talked about this um, in the video I made about it quite a lot. It's probably I'm not going to go into spoilers, but it's probably safer to say this now than it was at the time. Just the fact that I, I thought was really clever about that is, is the early stages of The Last of Us is you're you're almost tricked into getting into Joel's mindset because he's the main character mm. and he's like really worried about Ellie and he thinks she's in danger and she thinks he basically treats her like she's a bit useless and a bit at risk but then actually yeah, when yeah. you start to play as Ellie you realize that's not true and actually she's like yeah in some regards she's weaker like you know when she's got like a bunch of guys like trying to beat her up like mm-hmm. she's very weak physically but she's incredibly dangerous and incredibly deadly. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of think... And then I like the way that kind of played into the that, overall yeah, story of the game. It has to develop throughout the course of the game. And like yeah. the father-daughter relationship between Joel and Ellie is, 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 is obvious from the outset. Yeah. Um, should we talk about what happens at the very beginning? Well, let's, you don't even have to. But there's, it, there's an obvious sort of... If you have an older man and a, and a young girl that sort of relationship is naturally going to come about in a protective sort of way. Absolutely. And then the way that develops over the course of the game is just amazing. What I, just, I, what I loved about it was the fact that it's that um, that thing of... You, you kind of buy into this thing of being like, yeah, you know, you need to protect her, you need to protect her. And then actually, you kind of realise, actually, you don't really need to protect her that much. She's quite capable of protecting herself. And then you gradually realise that actually, it's mm. not so much you mm. being the hero. It's actually like Joel's decision to protect her and look after her is actually kind of weirdly selfish it's partly for him yeah, yeah. it's partly like he needs to do this and he needs to feel there like are certain a sort of figure. vulnerabilities that come come about for that yeah. towards the end of the game and as I well, just thought so. that was fascinating the way that it's like actually you're not like so that's, my, that's my hot tip for a classic game <laughs> A little old game, little known game called The Last of Us. Last I reckon you should uh, just try it out. I think you might Give like it. Give it out. Give it a yeah, go. It's, it's, a, it's a classic. It's, a, and, it's only quite a zombie-themed episode. And if you, you don't manage to find all of the golden bananas in uh, The Last of Us... <laughs> just come to me. Do come back. I have got uh, 500 pages of printed-out walkthrough. <laughs> ah, you're at the bit where it's snowy. Let me have a quick <laughs> look. look. <laughs> no, just wait a minute. Just hold on. I think it's this bit. And it's those, like, Old perforated printed out sheets that are all tied together like in a big zigzag. We've got to flip through them all, <laughs> flipping them over your head like a mad scientist. Yeah, that's genuinely what they were printed out on as well. Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah those like financial printers, weren't they? Yeah, really? they made amazing sounds when they were printed. Yeah, <laughs> that's the sound they made. <laughs> That's a great jingle for a printer-based podcast. <laughs> there must be one, there must be yeah. one. But yeah, it has ended up being a, a very weirdly zombie-themed uh, episode, which is interesting, actually, because we did only a couple of episodes ago in the, the New Year one, we talked about um, z- 
Zombies Run or Runs. I think it's Zombies Run rather than Run Zombies. Oh, it's the 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 exercise app. The exercise app on the on the iPhone and uh, and, and on Android. Mm. And uh, yeah, I actually just want to quickly say thank you very much for everyone uh, we did at the end of that. We had a little a little thing saying, hey, if you've already tried it out and you like it, let us know. Or if you want to try it out, you're going to, then, then come and drop us a line and tell us about it. And actually, we were a bit worried about putting that one up because we thought, you know, everyone might be like, oh, I listen to Gabe's podcast because I like video games. I don't want to listen to you talking about fitness. This is bullshit. <laughs> and yeah, actually, the response was entirely different. We had tons of people saying that they really got into either climbing or doing running with this app. And uh, yeah, so good ones yeah, for you. Good Most job. people might have given it up by the end of January, but it doesn't mm. matter. If you've got people out running once and pretending they were being chased by zombies, then sod it. Um, but yeah, I should have a video about Dying Light up next week, early next week, I think, because it it's very good. I can't believe it's very good. I almost didn't want it to be very good just because Techland in the past have been such an odious bunch in terms of the stuff they've done. Well, this is interesting. I think it's... Uh the finger of blame can be pointed in, in a number of different ways. You can either go... So we're talking about the promotional stuff they did around... Dead well, Island, not yeah. so much that. It was more like um, a lot of the stuff they've made. Like, there's still... And one thing that does annoy me about Dying Light, just because it's like... Well, A, the characterization of voiceover is quite bad. B, uh, like, even though you are on a kind of... It doesn't feel like you're in a tropical setting, right? But it's clearly like the weather's not bad where you are. It's quite nice. But, like, almost all of the female zombies you kill are in bikinis. Really? And it's just like, why? Like, it's like, why? It's this really odd thing about, clearly, it's like, it's it's in some ways quite interesting because it's like, oh, Techland aren't actually a complete shit developer. They actually have some real talent. They've made a really good game here. Mm, mm. I'm really impressed, and I, I need to say that. But at the same time, they've it's, at first, you kind of start playing and you think, this is just, like, their kind of values toned down a bit with Warner Brothers cash level sheen like everything yeah, is just nicer yeah. and there's still parts that come through and you sort of think yeah like this is still a bit like it's a bit weird like it's like this is kind of but yeah, they had that and they also did remember they did um what's that bloody one Call of Juarez uh the and cartel it, and it had the achievement didn't it that was taken out there was yeah there was the in Dead Island there was a like I can't remember what it was but it was basically a kind of like something Fuck bitches. Yeah, <laughs> it was like weird. an achievement which they they changed the name of it, but they'd left some of the code in or something that was yeah. like basically a kind of like weirdly misogynistic nastiness that didn't get in the final game, but was yeah. clearly an underlying. They'd give them thing. credit for changing it at least. <laughs> Fair enough, they did change it. But then a lot of their games have been like that, and it's just sort of this sort of like, oh, who gives a fuck? And and they did play on that with the marketing of Dead Island uh, Riptide when you could get a decapitated. It was a mutilated corpse of a woman. Uh, mutilated uh, sexy ju- just woman. the just the tits and shoulders basically <laughs> it was really horrible it was nasty and they really played on the controversy they loved winding everyone up about it yeah I mean that's the thing is that was Deep Silver and Deep Silver are still making uh, Dead Island games and stuff and I still mm. think that Deep Silver generally as a company just the way I felt about them. that was I felt, yeah I felt bad for the developers because they'd made quite a decent yeah well, not great game but they'd made a good game that didn't deserve to be associated with something so fucking That's the odious. thing, that's the thing. I think, you know, they've been like, you know, they've been a bit problematic in the past, especially to do with women. It's like this sort of, and I don't know, it's maybe just some old-fashioned sensibilities. Sometimes you kind of find with some Eastern European devs, uh, like, can be a bit of more, like, old-fashioned sensibilities towards women, which can be a bit, like, yeah. kind of, like, not always, but sometimes it's I like... I think, I think it's true. I think, in my experience as well, Eastern European developers have fewer women working there as well in, mm. in terms of certainly in the roles where they're journalists facing 
Yeah. Um, I'm often surprised if I find a a lady representing a, an Eastern European game. But it's just one of those things where a dying light, it's like, okay, you guys, like, you've been given a proper budget here, clearly. You've been given a proper project and you've got a proper chance by Warner Brothers and you know fair enough like it's still a bit shonky but you've nailed it it's just a bit like one of these things where I wonder I wonder how much Warner Brothers had control over the aesthetic and tone of the game and stuff but it's just simple stuff like having all of the zombies in bikinis you sort yeah. of think you've actually like you've you've let yourself down there like this could have been a bit of a classic but it's like why have you it's just weird it's like they're occasionally the plot and the like, elements of the world are so bad that you just sort of think it seemed like guys the, like it seemed like the setting was more shantytown than uh, like Tropical. holiday resort. Yeah, it is. It's not a holiday resort. Yeah. It's like a shanty town. It's like, yeah, maybe it gets really hot here, but I don't know. Well, I don't want to feel like I'm going on about it forever because it's not that. I'm sure, important. it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of. It doesn't clobbering these people to it death. It absolutely doesn't. It's just this weird thing of being like, hey, Techland, you guys have really got your shit together. Have you still got like one guy who works in art? <laughs> just one guy like, who keeps doing it. <laughs> it just feels like have you just got like some really pervy dudes in your art department or something? Like maybe just have a word. Just be like, yeah, sure, have some in bikinis, but maybe not all of them. I mean, I'm saying that there, there probably are women that don't have them on, but it's I like know, when I was, I was watching you playing, uh, the zombies I saw were wearing skirts that went down to their shins. So really? I thought it was quite reserved. Quite prudish. Yeah, quite prudish. Maybe it's not. It's clearly not all of them. But uh, I was getting excited by seeing some hot zombie ankles. <laughs> Come on, let's get some ankles. <laughs> ankles. But no, it's very good. Uh, no, I think it's going to be a real surprise because I think everybody in the world, including myself, was expecting it to be mm. total shit. Yes. Anyway, let's have some questions. Um, first of all, let's have an easy one from William Palmer, uh, who asks: Are podcasts art? No. No. Uh, art is limited to paintings, mm-hmm. statues. Yeah. That's it. If it, It's got to be a painting or a statue. And it has to go in a museum. Yeah. Podcasts aren't that. You so. can't put podcasts in a museum. They fall off the podiums. Yeah, you can't nail a sound to a wall. You can't, actually, unless you put it in a jar. But then you can't nail jars to walls either because they're made of glass and nails yeah, really don't and gel just, with Then stuff. the podcast would come out all at once. Oh, God, nightmare. If it's an hour-long podcast, it's going to be loud. Everyone's going to be covered in it. <laughs> uh, Hugh Jenkins asks, when are you two going to kiss? We've already kissed. Um, that happened in uh, one of the Matt and Steve... I think it was episode 11 of Matt and Steve's Amazing Week yeah. when I give Matt a peck on the cheek. Yeah, so that's that's actually a definitive answer for you. It's already happened. Wake up, Hugh. Uh, Stuart Neal says, what console has the best number of games to quality of games ratio. I didn't... Now, hang on, I'm reading from the wrong... Oh, I'm, oh God. I've let... You the... sh- oh, you read You read a question that you hadn't favourited. I read a question that I hadn't favourited. I read it, I just didn't know. I thought that that's not a metric that makes any oh, sense. Oh, no, I know. That's the thing is, I'm, I'm really sorry, Stuart, but I, I favourite the questions that we're going to ask, and I haven't favoured this one because... You've slipped it's... through the net, Stu. You've slipped through... <laughs> and I don't want to be rude, right? I don't want to be rude about this, but to be blunt, it's kind of a question that gets... A bit too mathsy. Well, I mean, why do, you, why do you care how many shit games are on a system? I mean, because like you, you could yeah. say like DS has some amazing games, but there's so many, so much shovelware by Ubisoft, like My Little Pony Farm with teddy bears that I love. They shovel lots of weird stuff on there, but that doesn't make the DS any worse. Just no. having games, just don't buy those games. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is a better question is why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, like at the moment, I'm really loving my PS Vita, but I'm aware that it's probably not. As good as a 3DS. Yeah. But so I really like it. This is why your question was interesting. It's, that's, and that's why I didn't answer your question. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stuart. I hope you don't take too much offence. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
This is a good question from Jesse Fox. That's his actual name. It's spelled F-U-C-H-S and not being unnecessarily rude. Um, has learning, this is a question for you more than anyone else because I don't know how to do this. Mm. Has learning how to drive an actual car affected your perception of driving in games? As hackneyed as it sounds, it kind of has. Like, So I recently just got my driving license mm. um, and playing, certainly driving simulator games, I do find myself thinking more about how cars work and how wheels go around and how cornerings is happens. <laughs> Not too much. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. I think driving games have affected how I feel about driving in real life a lot more. Um, I, drove a, I drove a race car and I, I felt, I said... I, it felt nothing like driving in in a video game, so that was surprising when I drove. The, then I, yeah. when I tried to do that in real, I life. hear that a lot. I remember yeah. like uh, there was a period where lots of racing games were still in existence, mm. and uh, I remember going on lots of studio tours. And a common thing when you're on a studio tour for a racing game is them going like, "Yeah, we always have fans saying that like, oh, you need to make the cars sound more like cars. It makes they yeah. make the sports cars really realistic. And when they make it's so that when you're driving a sports car, it actually handles exactly like a sports car does, and it sounds exactly like the car does. People think it's wrong because it's, it's like it doesn't yeah, feel right. I think when you drive a sports car, I mean, it looks visually, it can look a lot like a video game. The way that corners come up to you, whether you see a corner approaching, mm. uh, but there's something quite real. The, the sense that you can <laughs> die very easily and quickly in a ball of fire. I get that in real cars. I get <laughs> I mean, that in normal cars. Like not even well, the, as a passenger. Not, well, not as a passenger. I think as a passenger, I'm fine. I sort of part of my brain just goes, doesn't matter, you're not in control. It's like life mode, you know? Like, yes, I could die at any minute, but I'm not in control of it, so I'm not going to stress out. Mm. As soon as I'm in direct control of my life or death, I don't like that. That's stressful. And that's why I don't drive. But, uh, yeah, also at the moment, I kind of feel like the whole driving thing, like thinking about how... I was trying to play Elite, right? And I tried for about an hour, and it's just so complicated that I sort of think, you know what? I'm not. I don't. I can't drive a car, right? I can't drive a car. Mm. Why am I trying to drive a spaceship? <laughs> so I think, if anything, I'm going to go and like start maybe on like Euro Truck Simulator Two first. Just learn how to drive a truck, and then maybe if I get really good at driving a truck, then I can graduate. Mm. That's to interesting. You mentioned Euro Truck Simulator because that is one uh, game that has been affected by my driving taking my driving test. Do you feel you're, you're better at that game now? I check my mirrors in that game like I check mirrors in a real car, <laughs> and I never did that before I started uh, taking driving lessons. So that's uh, that. That's testament to that game being really realistic. Do you have, like, cyclists you can kill and stuff? In, uh... No, they should add cyclists that you can run over in your truck. <laughs> That'd be really harrowing. Because that's what truck drivers do. Yes, you fuckers. <laughs> Fucking HGV bastards. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you are a, a truck please driver drive in the safely. London area, please stop killing cyclists at roundabouts. It's very upsetting. Um, Julian Benson asks, this is a very good question, I don't know what, how to answer it, but he says, what government positions do you want to see filled by Valve employees? This is, of course, a reference to the fact that... Um, the Greek of finance uh, minister. Is somebody who used to work as Valve's economist. Yes. Well, let's be fair, he actually has spent more of his life doing normal economics. Oh, yeah. Than- I mean, Valve hired a... a um, what, like a... What do you call people who like a consultant? Yeah, they are consultants. I remember the time being like, yeah. "Oh wow!" Like so it was more. It was stranger that you worked for Valve than he than that's him basically working for, yeah. for, for the Greek government. Uh, but mind you, I don't know. I sort of feel like consistently, Gabe Newell is just such 
he's such a, like, a cool guy. Like, whenever he approaches something, whenever there's something, whatever he says, when he stands up and says stuff, he just sort of think, yeah, you're like, you know what you're doing. He's so, sort of like the Elon Musk of, uh, of video games, isn't he? So I think he should be the Prime Minister of England. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Let's ship him over. <laughs> Come on, we'll give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? I thought of some jokes about uh, Greeks' finance minister being a working an ex being a get next games developer. Yeah, you could have a joke which is, oh, why don't they uh, use hats as a new currency? That's an interesting one. I haven't heard that one. one. Uh, you could there's another joke that you could do, which is, oh, where did all of Greece's money go? Did he did he run into some spikes, and all the money fell out of him? Like the rings, the Sonic rings. Like in Sonic. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, good. Those are my two jokes. I'm still working on them. Well, I've got one like, uh, I've got one like maybe if he, the Greek, uh, like, finance minister came over to England and was the Chancellor of the, ch- Chancellor, Chancellor of the Exchequer, that when he brings out the little uh, red box for the budget, um, if you wanted to see what the budget was, you'd have to pay £1.59 for a, a key. That's good. <laughs> see? Yeah, that's also good. Oh, that's actually a joke, isn't it? Mm. Um... Yeah. Those are three jokes. Hey, well, there's three jokes. Uh, just, you can just go use them in there. That means you can you can tank this as comedy on iTunes. No? I, like, I like the way that we just, we've just got to the point where we just think about making jokes so much that we weren't even telling jokes then. We were just blueprinting. These are the, these are blueprints for some jokes that you can you can you can have those. Yeah, you weren't going to laugh whilst you were listening to that. That's no. fine, but you can make somebody laugh by taking just those refine jokes. Refine it. I'm, we're giving you unrefined. Uh, joke or yeah, I think the key one could have been better, but there's there's something there. There's definitely something there. Anyway, um, Tom Book Tom Bickmore asks. He says it's Steve, so I have to ask: best and worst video game dogs. Best video game dog is Missile from the DS. Uh, I guess you got a point and click puzzle adventure. Um, Ghost Ghost trick. trick. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Missile is a little girl's dog. Who can talk to ghosts? It turns out you play a ghost who can uh, rewind the last, I think it's forty-five seconds before someone dies, and you can uh, manipulate the environment um, in sort of like a Final Destination kind of way, where you're, you're like nudging objects to hit into other objects to try and prevent this person from dying, or to change the outcome of an event. And uh, Missile, who's obviously very distressed at the fact that her owner uh, or his owner. I'm not sure of the gender of this dog. Uh, I would say her owner has died. Uh, she really wants to try very hard to help you out. And uh, it's, it's, it's really quite adorable. Her, I really uh, need to play Ghost Trick. It's, uh, it was it, originally for DS. I think, it's, I think it's a Capcom game. And now I think it's, it is, yeah. uh, it's available on iPhone. Yeah, and I've heard really, really good things about it. I've been listening to a lot of the BitSocket podcasts recently, and they've been yeah, they always it's, sing it's, its genuinely one of my favourite handheld games like ever. Like yeah. the animation, like uh, the the character models are all three D, but they're reduced down to the they were reduced down to the DS's uh, resolution in a very deliberate way that gave them like a like a three D pixel style. Hmm. Oh, I know um, what you mean. I know what you mean. And it, it was like, um, yeah, it just worked so well. The animation is fantastic. There are characters who sort of dance. Everyone, there's, there's one character who dances everywhere, and just watching him move is it's 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 if you, jazzy. If you, if you, it's jazzy. If if you're going to describe games as art, this is this is one game I'd go look at the way this character moves around. Oh right, so it's a painting. It's 
you could nail a DS to a wall. Okay. So, yeah, so okay, games can be art, as of long course. as they're handheld games, because you can nail them to, walls. to a wall. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. It's, uh, if, you, if you have a chance to try it out, go for it. It's in, an incredible game. I'm going to get that one on my list, actually, because it keeps coming back to haunt me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was oh. a pun. That was an accidental pun. Oh. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. It's genuinely accidental. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I get really annoyed. I make awful accidental puns all the time, and I, I feel like I have to rectify it immediately. It's like when you say something offensive and then go, no, I didn't mean that. Like, yeah. I didn't mean to that pun. I don't know. I just feel like maybe it's all these years of, well, not years, but all that time working on magazines just makes you feel dirty about puns afterwards. <laughs> I didn't mean to make that no, pun. Yeah. It has to be a really good pun. Well, because it would be awful if you meant it and you thought it was funny. That's yeah. why you have to backtrack so quickly. I know. That's it. I don't want people to think I like puns that much. Um, and finally, I like this question. Luke Summerhays asks, what game has best made you feel like you're in Star Trek? Star Trek game? <laughs> Star Trek game. <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation on the SNES. Which one was that? Because I uh, played a Star Trek Next Generation like point and click on the PC. You could choose which systems you were going to warp to, and then you could beam down to the planets and go on adventures. But what, I mean... That's what it says what on the back it? of the box, Steve. <laughs> like, how does it play? I'm just intrigued because I played, uh, like I say, I played a point and click uh, Star Trek game on the PC ages ago. I don't know what it's called, but I'm just wondering. So, uh, so when you're on the ship, it's uh, it's uh, kind of point and click. It's basically a, a, an elaborate menu screen. The bridge, you can you can have a cursor and you point at the uh, at the briefing room to go on a mission, and the and the the, the map screen to go to look at the at your system. But what do you do with the missions? There. You go down. You basically you have your away team, and it's a top. Down um, shooter, essentially. Nah, it's a different game. I was yeah. just wondering if it was the same one. No. But it probably wasn't because there's been quite a few. Oh, it's there? like it's all 2D. You might be thinking of, um, oh, I know the one you're thinking of. If it's 3D, I might Google it. No, it wasn't 3D. It was a uh, Star Trek point and click. I'm going to do the unprofessional point. And it's quite, click. it is quite an unoriginal answer to what game makes you most feel like you're in Star Trek. It is. It's incredibly. I'm not going to take it. I'm I afraid. Think, <sighs> I'm trying to think of very clever answers, but you, you can't overlook Mass Effect for the feeling of owning a spaceship that can go anywhere. I think Mass Effect is my answer as well. Mm. Specifically Mass Effect 2. So you've got a bridge. Um, Mass Effect 2, I think it was called Star Trek A Final Unity. Final Unity? Uh, I think, oh, was this it? Oh, look at that. I think it might have been. Is that Riker? I could spot yes, Riker a mile away. Yes, this was it. I played this one. Yeah, you can... Oh, yeah, she's dead. That, we're just sorry, we're just watching a video now and commentating over it. This is like <laughs> YouTube. Someone's had a dilithium crystal fall right on them. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, it was kind of like 3D graphics, but I just remember it being really hard because it was like a point and click, but you had multiple characters. And, yeah, like you had all of the, all of the things. You had the, the Star Trek gun, the Star Trek scanner... Star Trek, oh, yeah. walkie-talkie, all of the gadgets they love on the Star Trek ship. Like, uh, <laughs> like a wharf. You're just standing like a little dainty princess. <laughs> the animations in it are somehow both amazing and terrible uh, at the same time. I'm going to check that out. That's called Star Trek A Final Unity. It is, it's, it's really something. I remember getting really stuck on it. Again, like I got stuck on all point and clicks. But yeah, Mass Effect 2, I really loved because it did that like episodic thing of it. Like It felt like Star Trek... And the fact that it was like he landed on a planet and then, oh, what's... Yeah, you'd have like a little mini-adventure on a planet. But there was actually a bit in Mass Effect 1 which felt more like Star Trek. That that uh, place with the underground plant, the telepathic plant, mm, you remember? Yes. That was like... That, that was when I realised I loved Mass Effect, I think, actually, that bit. When you, like, go down to a planet and, like, hey, I'm a captain from a ship. 
what's going down here? And everyone's like, nothing's going down here. Everything is like, fine. Well, I bet something's <laughs> yeah. going down like, here. Something is definitely going down Otherwise, here. Otherwise, why are we here? <laughs> yeah. And it's just everyone acting a bit oddly and being like, what's going on? And then having the bit at the end of the episode where it's like, oh, it's a telepathic plant. We've yeah. got to stop it. And then there's some sort of moralizing. And yeah, everyone everyone like, learns a lesson and yeah. goes back to the ship. It's Mass Effect is well. It's like it like completely robs like Babylon 5's like kind of setting in terms of like lots of like the idea of like humans being this fringe race having to prove themselves and stuff. But then the the how the game actually functions is just pure mm. Star Trek. This is why Star Trek is fifty times better than Star Wars. Star Trek is really good. Star Trek, it's all about real life and people and how we interact and all the different races represent different parts of the human spirit and psyche. The Klingons are the angry ones (laughs) and the Vulcans are the logical ones and then the the guys with the big ears, they love money. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. <laughs> and those are the three human traits that we've got. And then those, the sexy ones. The sex ones. There were sex ones. The green-skinned ones. ones. Yeah, there were times when the sex ones got on the ship. I remember those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the quote was, what the sex ones I've got on the ship. I remember when I was working a video game last year with Chris Bratt, who's been on the podcast many times. He was like, he started watching all of The Next Generation from scratch just because mm. he hadn't seen And he was like, I forgot how mental it is. It's like, he's like, it's like in the first few episodes, it's like, like data gets seduced by a sex alien. There's an episode of Star Trek where Picard goes to a planet uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> can't get back to the the Enterprise. Um, he has to live on this planet for forty or fifty years. Um, I think it's next to like a dying sun, so it's orbiting around it really quickly. So that was the film, wasn't like, it? Time dilates. I think it was a two part special. Was it? Oh no, there's another one where he goes into. Because I'm yeah, sure there's know, a film in, one in the film. He also that. he also lives for a long time. This is like just in a normal run of the series. He gets trapped on this planet. He lives an entire life there. He has a family, wife, and kids. And just as he's about to die, I think it's like Riker comes down. He's all like, "Hey, Captain, we can just beam you back to the ship and make you whatever age you were before." And he's all like, "Yeah, cool, let's do that." That's bullshit. And then he never mentions the fact that he's lived an extra 40 or 50 years with people who he's grown to love. You'd think. <laughs> you'd like, think that he that would might either, dwell like, on his mind a little bit. You'd think that he'd either like, maybe be slightly changed by that. Yeah. Or maybe he'd have some cool ideas. Like, and he'd be like, <laughs> hey guys, I've had this cool idea yeah. about the holodeck. It's three episodes later, he might go when he's like having a conversation. So, oh, this reminds me of the second life I lived. <laughs> On that no. planet yeah. where I thought I was going to die. This is why Star Wars is like 50 times better than Star Trek because it doesn't have these logical inconsistencies. Oh, God, we're trapped in a loop. <laughs> what, which is better? We need to know which is better. Uh, but no, I would say actually it's weird. The more I think about it, the more I think that actually Bioware games as a whole just really capture that human sort of fantasy element that Star Trek really nailed. Mm. Like I remember that I think it's the first ever episode of Star Trek. Because again, I started watching a bit on Netflix. So I was like, let's have a look. Mm-hmm. I love that it starts off with a what's he called? Is it Q? Like at the start, yeah. like they've just got out into space and they're like, hey, we're having a jolly time. Gonna look at space. It's gonna be pretty interesting, probably. And then out of nowhere, it's like, boom. Hey, you guys haven't been here before. What are you doing? You're going out into proper space. Going into proper space. No, you're not. Yeah, I'm a god. And then just being like this idea of this thing they don't That's understand. Such a good episode. And then it's like for the rest of the thing, it's like the shadow hanging over the whole thing of this idea of like 
there are things out there yeah. more infinitely powerful than you. So you know what happens at the end of that episode? Yeah, yeah. He zips them off to the Delta Quadrant and goes, because Picard's like, no, we can handle whatever the universe has to throw at us. And he goes, you can't, you can't, look. And he zips them away. He's like, look, it's the Borg. These guys are just going gonna to fuck you up. Yeah. And he zips them back. And because the Borg scanned the ship, that's how the Borg knew about humans. And that's why they came over to, to fuck everything up. Yeah. That's it. But just right at the start, this idea of just like dropping you into this horrible thing of just feeling like, yeah, these guys are the heroes. But here's a bunch of stuff that's just infinitely more powerful than, yeah. and like, be afraid of it. And I mean, Dragon Age did that really well, I felt, with like all of the demons and stuff. You just being like, just giving you these immediate little flashes of just mm. being like, hey, you're doing pretty well, aren't you? Well, look at all this stuff. You don't know what the fuck's going on. Chrono Trigger did it as well. Yeah, Chrono Trigger let you try and fight the last boss uh, early on. Yeah, do you want to kill that boss? You so, can't. Go for it if you want. You can't. You can't do that. Chrono Trigger was so good. I do actually find myself thinking this a lot, you know, just staring into the, out the window and being like, why haven't anyone, why hasn't anyone done like, there's lots of games that do time travel as a puzzle mechanic and being mm. like moving around, but why haven't any games seriously done like, that again, like what Chrono Trigger done of being like going back in time and changing something and then having the world being vastly different. Yeah. Like no game has, no games don't even try to do that. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know, I was really fond of that whole schlocky element. I loved stuff like sliders when I was a kid. I know it was crap. I know it was crap. <laughs> sliders. But it was good. Yeah, time travel is due a comeback, I think. I think so. I think zombies are passe. We're done with zombies now. Done with zombies. Forget this podcast, delete it's, it. It's time travel. <laughs> Well, that brings us neatly to the end of the podcast in which zombies have been eradicated from existence and now all games will be about time travel. We've time travelled to the end of this episode. (laughs) Yeah, an interesting podcast was mostly about zombies and then the last 20 minutes were just about Star Trek. You (laughs) never know what you're going to get. Yeah, sorry about Um, that. It's fine, I enjoyed it. And that's pretty much all that matters. But thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed, you could uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or do it a review or any of those things. And also, obviously, if you don't know already, and Steve and myself have another podcast, Regular it's Features. Regular Features. So check that out. It's nothing like this one, but it's quite fun. And have you got anything else you'd like to plug, just for the hell of it? Just uh, follow me on Twitter. Yeah. At Mr. Brilliant. That sounds at Mr. Brilliant to and me. And some of those jokes about the Greek economy <laughs> you heard, just the, the foundations of, in maybe two or three weeks, I'll have refined them. And I'm going to tweet them. Be ready to go to <laughs> the wild you, like doves. They'll be ready to go. Doves turning up at a funeral weeks too late. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.